Hello. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Carving the Divine TV. Uh, today, we have a special guest, but you know, before we dive into it, uh, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Yujiro Seki. I'm a director, writer, and the producer of the documentary Carving the Divine. Carving the Divine is about the Buddhist sculptors of Japan, and I'm ready to present it for the first time in the world. But before I do so, I thought it would be a great idea to present information about Buddhism and the history of the Buddhism. So that finally, when you guys watch my documentary, uh, you guys can watch it at the maximum value. With that being said, this special episode of Carving the Divine TV, I have a returning guest, uh, Professor uh, Peter Bolin. Welcome, Mr. Bolin. Thank you so much for having me again. It's an honor to be with you on your amazing and very cool show. Great, great, awesome. So I'm really happy you're back again. And the last time we talked about the, the meaning of philosophy, which was a very philosophical question. But today uh, we're gonna talk about the more Eastern tradition, a uh, wisdom tradition. Uh, we're gonna talk more about the Vedanta because uh, uh, that's uh, what's uh, Professor Boland uh, specializing, and uh, I want to pick his brain. So what do you think of that? No, it's fantastic. It is near and dear to my heart, this whole Vedanta worldview. It's incredible, and it's very ancient and very modern. It's very idealistic and very practical all at the same time. Great, great. So I hope uh, we can uh, use this tool to cultivate uh, uh, our life as well. So yeah. I'm going to... Uh, digging, diving into the question right now. So I had a discussion with Michael uh, many episodes ago, ago about uh, uh, this concept, Vedanta concept of Brahman, Atman, uh, Moksha, and all this. And uh, uh, Michael did a fantastic job, uh, but it was a one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, philosophy of the uh, Vedanta tradition because Michael did it in a way that everybody can understand. But today, since I have a you, so I would expect that we're going to go even deep into that. So what is this whole thing that Atman, Brahman, and, uh, you know, I heard something like a Maya and uh, all this. So this Hindu tradition of uh, wisdom, you know, there's a certain thing we have a difficult time to understand. So please tell us uh, all about it today. <laughs> That's I certainly will try. Um, it is challenging, isn't it? And it, it's a, I appreciate what Michael did to kind of just make it clear because in some ways it is quite clear and, and maybe we overcomplicate it with our intellectual, you know, busyness. But essentially we're talking about a philosophy, a school of thought known as Vedanta, which refers to the late Vedas, uh, a, a collection of texts called the Upanishads, uh, that were written around five, six, seven hundred BC, and out of this explosion of wisdom comes this idea that all reality, all matter, all energy, all consciousness, is part of one thing, one fundamental single sing singular thing called Brahman. And Brahman is not a god; it's not one of the many personified gods of Hinduism. Brahman is the the formless eternal sacred source of everything including the gods now 
asterisk. One complexity is some Hindus think of Brahman as a personified deity and others do not. So there's, there's, there's lots of variety in the Indian system. But for our purposes today, let's keep it sort of simple. Brahman is the, is the sacred essence of all things, including us. And when we talk about Brahman within, we call it Atman, which is translated as eternal self or, or the Brahman within. And so the fundamental claim of Vedanta is all is one, only we don't know it because we are caught by the sensory world. Somehow the, the one, Brahman, poured out of itself and became all of this, including these embodied forms, these human beings, you and I. And as embodied forms made of material, you know, we're limited. I'm going, my body's going to die. I, I have five senses, these two cameras, these two microphones, smell, taste, touch. I collect all as much data as I can, and it kind of paints a picture of reality. But that picture, as beautiful as it is, as real as it is, isn't ultimately real. And, and the sensory world and the world of surface consciousness, that's called maya or illusion. And maya is what blocks us from realizing our oneness with Brahmanatman. So we're caught in what's called avidya or ignorance uh, because I look around just at the surface of things and I don't see the depth of Brahmanatman. The goal of Vedanta is to penetrate that veil of Maya, to move through it through a variety of means and realize that I am that. And that's the awakened state of vidya or realization. That's the, that's the Vedanta view in a nutshell. It's a, it's a, it's a big, beautiful, spiritual, philosophical uh, world, world view with a lot of opportunity for variety, a rich, ancient expression. Uh, it's, 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 it's just incredible. Beautiful, beautiful. So I have a follow-up question for you, which is uh, uh, all of that. So where does moksha come in? Moksha is a realization of uh, this whole thing is a uh, like a we are the one we are the children kind of thing, right? <laughs> right, right? So the word moksha in Sanskrit means liberation, uh, to be free, to be set free from what? From samsara, and samsara means two things. It means both the wheel of reincarnation. To, to, to take on this embodied form and then the body dies and then to take on another body and another body. So that whole reincarnation wheel. But samsara also refers to this, this embodied world, you know, with its sort of sadness and its, and its inevitable death and dissolution. Everything in the material world is Buddha taught. You know, all forms arise and all forms fade. Impermanence is what samsara is. And it, it hurts. And so moksha is to become liberated and released from that wheel. And so the Atman within is no longer trapped in that embodiment cycle. And this is achieved over many lifetimes, Hindus teach, through, again, the various yogas and practices that lead toward moksha. So moksha is kind of a synonym with the Buddhist term nirvana. It means to to break out of the limitations of the embodied state and 
like the drop of rain that returns to the ocean, you know, and realizes its oneness with the ocean. And it, it leaves that imperfect, separate condition and enters into the conditionlessness, the boundlessness of its essential Brahmanatma nature. So moksha is the, in a word, the goal of Hinduism. Wow. That was a very profound that you told me about the you know, drop of water into the ocean. That's, I think, uh, uh, painted a picture uh, within a lot of people. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, that, that's great. That's great. So, yeah, yeah. If you think this information is useful, uh, make sure to subscribe uh, uh, my YouTube channel and uh, uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Like me on my Facebook because uh, that's how we do it in the 21st century. I love that. You're, that is how we do it in the 21st century, and we yes. keep doing it over and over and over. Also, uh, please tell us what's going on uh, uh, in your world as well. So uh, please tell us, uh, how can I find you? Sure. You know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all those kinds of things. Maybe the most direct route is just to start at peterboland.com. And uh, that's my website, and you can read my calendar there, all my upcoming talks. There's links to my, to my blog where I put all my published articles and columns. And I have a link there to my YouTube channel, because, of course, I have a YouTube channel also. And you can hear some of my songs and, and hear some of my lectures there as well. So I hope to connect with all of you in all those various ways. Beautiful, beautiful. So I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.